Eli, um, philosophical question for you. <laughs> Does more unite us or divide us? <laughs> this, is, this, this is a very uh, generalizing question. <laughs> I no, Hypatia tells us the answer. <laughs> well, yes, obviously it's like more things that unite us because... A plus B equals C or something like that. <laughs> yeah, if, if if A equals B, then it all well, no. This, yes, more things unite us than divide us. Yes, naturally, <laughs> of course. Like podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Movies We Dig, the podcast about film, antiquity, and everything in between. I'm Colin McCormick. And I'm Elijah Fleming. And today we're talking about Agora, or Agora. Depends. <laughs> yeah, depends. Uh, a 2009 uh, historical drama directed by Alejandro Amenabar, starring Rachel Weisz and Oscar Isaac, about Hypatia, a philosopher who lived in Alexandria in the late 4th and early 5th century CE. So... Leo, you are Leo. Jesus, <laughs> Leo, did you dig this movie? Look at this boy. I need to put a he picture of him. Obviously, digs this movie. Leo is my cat, by the way. He likes Leo. Digs anytime I watch movies because yeah. if I just I'm on my couch, he that's his favorite thing. Just being either next to me or on me when I'm on my couch. But Eli, yeah, did you were the one that recommended this movie to me? I had never heard of it. But I, do you, what do you? Yeah, I had never seen this movie. I just knew that it existed. Um, and it was always sort of on my list and never kind of got around to seeing it. But I think I kind of dug this movie. It was trying to do a lot of things and I'm still kind of like processing. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like it didn't maybe succeed in all of the things it was trying to do. But I think it's definitely a different type of historical movie. Like it's mm -hmm. not it's not what I would call like it's not very action based and there's no like big dramatic battles in it's not really a, it's not a sword and sandal it's like yeah yeah in that sense like well there's sandals but but and there's swords i guess but it's not yeah. like a it's not like in the gladiator tradition for example exactly and so i think i appreciated it just for its sort of the variety that it kind of <laughs> expresses mm -hmm. um it's something really different and i think it does try to tackle like a lot of different themes and i like i said i don't know if it really succeeds but it was it was enjoyable and interesting to sort of think about the things that it kind of brought up yeah yeah so you recommended this movie to me. i had never heard of this movie it, it flew underneath my radar i think it had a somewhat limited release yeah it seems like it didn't really get a lot of attention at all no yeah so i'm looking at its at its wiki right now so it is it's also it's Interesting to note that it's an English language film starring American and, and British, primarily American and British actors. Um, some as some of the other actors are, are Israeli or Arab Israeli or Egyptian Israeli, but it's a Spanish film in English. It was made in Spain. It debuted at Cannes in two thousand nine, but it couldn't really find a domestic distributor, so it didn't. It wasn't really distributed in the United States. It was. It's. It opened in Spain and actually did really well in Spain, box office wise. But it had a very limited release in the U.S. So that's like part of the reason we had never heard of it because there might have not really been any way to watch it. And I yeah. should say for the listeners, uh, it's on Amazon. So like we're probably going to get into a lot of spoilers. Yeah. So if you haven't seen this movie and you want to see this movie before we get, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, you kind of know it's one of those it's it's one of those movies like like you know the joke is like you could spoil Titanic being like well the ship sinks exactly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but we are going to get into spoilers, but it is available if you have an Amazon Prime. You can just watch it for free on Amazon. That's how I watched it. Same. Yeah, it's yep. about a two-hour movie. So it's it, that was a, a welcome change of pace. Yes, after, absolutely. Yeah, um, <laughs> but but yeah, I, I I agree, I think. I There's things I liked about it. When I went into this movie, it's not a perfect movie, but I don't think it's a bad movie. Yeah, yeah. And... When I was kind of going into this movie, I had like two questions sort of early on, knowing its subject matter, which as we'll get into is about uh, a pagan philosopher named Hypatia who is killed by a Christian mob during this sort of era of religious strife uh, towards the sort of latter end of the Roman Empire. I had two questions kind of going into this film. The first is considering, you know, the other films about 
like religion and religious strife in the ancient world that we've watched so far, is this a sort of, is this, this movie's approach going to be sort of nuanced and maybe thoughtful? Or is it going to be a sort of polemic by one side or the other? Right. Or against one side or the other. And then my second question is, why is this film called Agora? Okay, yes, that was also my question. <laughs> like, why why are we calling it this? If, I thought maybe because, like, in the beginning, like, there's a lot of uh, confrontations that sort of happen in the big, you know, marketplace yeah. that we would maybe call an Agora. And it's like, but, like, it's like that's the marketplace of ideas. Happens. Like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> like, yeah, because the, the Agora, like, they're, they, you're right. Like, in the beginning, I'm like, all right, like, maybe, like, the Agora, it's, like, almost going to be, like, a play. And, like, the Agora is, like, the scene where, like, everything kind of happened. Everything yeah. goes down in the Agora. But it doesn't really, like, doesn't. I feel like a better title would have been, like, Hypatia or even, like, Alexandria or something like that. Or yes. some yeah. other, I don't know. It, it feels like the title Agora was, like, maybe it was, like, it was, like, nobody could agree on the title for the film. And this was, like, everybody's fourth choice. <laughs> so that's what the one, yeah, the one everybody, yeah, it, it, like, compromised. It, it neither de- it describe it, it tells me like nothing about the movie and like I Mm-mm. I don't know for whatever reason before I knew what this movie about I thought it was going to be about completely something completely different like because when you just when you first told me about this movie and it's like a movie called Agro and it's starring Rachel Weisz and I saw like a picture of it and I was like oh maybe it's about like classical Athens and it's some sort of like drama romance or something mm-hmm. like that and then I'm like, I'm like oh no it's yeah. about Hypatia of Alexandria and it's like a sort of pseudo religious <laughs> yeah. film. <laughs> Yeah, it it does. It's not at all descriptive, and it was kind of confusing. And I remember reading just like through the description, like on IMDb or something, and really thinking about your first question on how is this movie going to treat mm-hmm. different religions. And I really thought it was going one direction, sort of in the beginning, mm-hmm. um, with a lot of the like the Christian determinism that we've seen before, mm-hmm. even from like the little intro the words on the screen that was like in the rising new christianity mm-hmm. it sort of felt very prophetic mm-hmm. i guess um but then it sort of like did a 180 yeah and i don't know i've some of the reviews i feel like are mad at the representation of christianity mm-hmm. in this yeah movie. i watched like a and i think that's interesting i watched like a seven minute youtube <laughs> video by a bishop where he's just like he's just railing oh. against this movie oh my gosh uh, which i like got angry just watching it because i was i was yeah i thought it was kind of made a little bit i thought that argument was made a little bit in bad faith because i don't think this movie is like he he frames and i think people frame this movie as being anti-christian and I mean, very often when I hear complaints like that, like sort of my thought is like, did you watch this film? Because yeah. I, mean, I think if anything, yeah. this film is anti-fundamentalist, which yes. shouldn't necessarily, I mean, it is not a, a particularly polemic position to, to take. No, no. But it's like nobody in this movie comes off very well. No, it doesn't. Because like, At I all? thought it was, so there's, <laughs> there's, I'm getting ahead of myself, but like this movie sort of, it sets itself up a little bit. This is actually one of my, the problem I think with the narrative of the film is that it sort of becomes like I th- like you're right. Like I thought it was going to be one movie about maybe mm-hmm. like this, like sort of almost like a feminist, like this woman who is ahead of her time, but is sort of constrained by the the culture and the and the society she's born into. It's not really that because not, no one really yeah. like everyone's like really on board with Hypatia for the most part, with the exception yeah. of the the antagonist Cyril and his yeah. followers. And then it becomes a sort of Galileo story, mm-hmm. but it's also kind of not really a Galileo. Like it's it's trying to force Hypatia <laughs> into a Galileo mold that I want to get into in a little yeah. bit. Uh, but but yeah, but like to the the first point, because it's not that the Christians are necessarily all the way across the board, like sort of knuckle dragging Philistines who just want to destroy. Like they do destroy the library and all the censors of learning and are, are sort of you know, are responsible for sort of aggravating religious turmoil and civil strife in Alexandria and Mm -hmm. are responsible for destroying the sort of great center of learning, which probably backtrack a little bit, maybe describe the plot in a second, but, uh, but they're not (laughs) as we're like getting it. Yeah. We're, we're, we're building this argument backwards, but, but they're also like shown with like a, some degree, like there's a scene where like they're shown to like, they are, they're giving alms to the poor of like, and like it kind of, I think the movie does, I, I think a fairly, reasonable job sort of explaining like why this religion appealed to so many people in the time that it did because the pagans themselves are not even like they're not particularly enlightened either like they're also kind of dogmatic and they're very elitist 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they, they obviously like care a lot about certain things, but have this blind eye toward like human suffering right in front mm-hmm. of them. I think that was they're sort of the cloistered really... in their with their books and their learning and yeah and, their and they're privilege. yeah they're so freaked out um, when they're like you know trying to get all of the scrolls to like run out of the temple and they're just you know being horrible to the slaves who are also running who are also you know in danger of being mm-hmm. slaughtered and yeah it's just just the sort of they're also not coming off well they're caring more about you know, what's written on the papyrus versus like the human lives. And yeah, so, so, but we are kind of going back. Yeah, so, so <laughs> to backtrack for, for those who probably haven't, which is many people who haven't seen this movie yet. And I feel like there's many, even in our own, our own field who would like have maybe this, this movie exists on the fringes of our knowledge, but it's like, Oh, you should see that at one yeah. point. So hopefully if anything, this yeah. podcast gets you to see the movie. So you can realize that what well, we're, t- we're, we're, we're waxing, we're doing a great job criticize or, uh, <laughs> reviewing this film or we're just we're just totally off our rockers but the general plot is it's based on a real historical figure hypatia who uh you also might recognize hypatia if you watch the good place she's played by lisa kudrow in the final season uh have you seen the good place no i've only watched like the first season oh hypatia of alexandria shows up in the last couple episodes and it's lisa kudrow that's awesome She goes by Patty. Naturally. Hypatia of Alexandria, because there's a, there's a funny bit to spoil something where like in the last season of The Good Place, they get to The Good Place and then they find out that there's something wrong there. But they, as they're going into The Good Place, Chidi, he's like, oh, are all my favorite philosophers going to be here? And he's like, Aristotle? And then, what's her name? Janice. He's like, nope. Like, he's not here. Advocated for slavery. Uh, he's like, Plato? He's like, nope, the slavery thing. And then he like, he like lists a bunch of philosophers like, no, they're not, they're not here. Um. <laughs> yep yep that tracks. but a patient of alexandria is in the good place and she okay, was right. a real woman uh who lived mm-hmm. somewhere between 350 to she was killed in 415 she was a philosopher and a mathematician and an astronomer at she taught students to sort of very what in the sort of intellectual political circles of the the roman empire particularly at this point where Things in Europe are, are kind of, uh, as we say, uh, the, the technical term in the business is going to shit. <laughs> but in in the East, because the empire is already split, I think this is the Honorius Theodosius split right now. Mm-hmm. So the empire has been yep. split between two, two into two empires. In the East, things are relatively more stable and will continue to be for about a thousand years. But yeah, yeah so, but she is caught up in this sort of political slash religious strife between the prefect of the city of Alexandria in Egypt, Orestes, and Cyril, the bishop in Alexandria. And then eventually she is killed by a Christian mob, probably at the behest of Cyril, the bishop, who had gone on a large smear campaign against her, accusing her of witchcraft and and heresy and other things. Or maybe not heresy. Yeah. Well, like, like satanic something, something. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's, that's, that's the basic plot of the movie, which we basi- basically follow... Hypatia. And the movie, like I said, this movie kind of happens in two halves. Yeah. The first half is sort of the the rise of the sort of Christian fundamentalists in the city, which culminates in the burning of, well, they frame it as the burning of the Library of Alexandria, which, which is not really. Not really. Yeah. <laughs> so the other context is, yeah. even, do we get into this? <laughs> well, I mean... I don't know. They even kind of mention it at one point that they call the where they are, the library, like a daughter library, and they Mm -hmm. refer to a mother library. And that like the actual library of Alexandria had been like basically slowly declining and wasn't didn't exist anymore (laughs) at this point in time. It's a funny, like, (laughs) almost like cultural myth. Like I see it today, I will see memes that are like lamenting the burning of the Library of Alexandria. So yeah. <laughs> the Library of Alexandria being after Alexander the Great and in the successor kingdoms, the Ptolemies, they built this huge library where they collected all sorts of literature and technical learning and biology and math and geometry and all every kind of learning imaginable. And it was curated and edited and made copies. And it was this massive sort of intellectual center. It was the intellectual center of the Mediterranean world. And then slowly kind of, particularly after the Romans, kind of began to decline, was disseminated. By the time of Hypatia was not really an entity. Although 
the building that she worked in both in the film and in real life is the Serapeon, which is a temple of Serapis, mm-hmm. uh, sort of Greco-Egyptian god. Super cool. Uh, which had sort of remnants of the library and was still like a, a large center of cultural range. So the first half of the film culminates in basically the the pagans in and around and associated with the Serapeon become increasingly frustrated with the, the sort of conflicts with the Christians. They launch an attack on the streets against the Christians who then retaliate and drive and basically massively outnumber the pagans, drive yeah. them back into the temple. And then the emperor has to intervene and he decrees that the, the pagans can leave their pardon and they can leave, but the, the live, the temple and all the learning therein is going to be seated over, not seated over. It has to be abandoned. And then the Christians yeah. go in and then they sack the place. And then the second half is basically the conflict of the movie is basically the con jumps ahead a couple of years and Hypatia is still teaching and, and living in the city and her sort of the conflict with Orestes, the prefect and Cyril, the bishop, which culminates in her death. Yeah. I feel like this, what this story could have been better told in like a mini series format. Yeah. It, when I was watching it, one of my first reactions was sort of like, this feels like maybe the best produced history channel special I've ever seen. Yeah, it has see a that. little bit of that feel. <laughs> like it does a lot of expositing. Yeah. And it, 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 it's sort of like you said, it's sort of all over the place. Yeah. And I would almost like argue that like Hypatia isn't like the most main, main character. I feel like the... It sort of also revolves around like the men who are sort of interwoven in her class and then in her life. Mm-hmm. So it's like the guy who becomes the bishop of Cyrene. Yeah, Synesius. Um, Synesius, who's like a Christian among the pagans in the beginning. Um, and then Orestes, who becomes the prefect, which that's not historically accurate. But the bishop part was. I mm-hmm. think the he actually was her student. Yes, yes. And we have one of our main... So Hypatia, we actually have no... It's very murky about what we know about her. Uh, we have no actual work or writing about her. We only have other people writing about her. But we do have yeah. a couple of letters by this bishop, I think seven or something like that, written by the bishop to her. We don't have any of her responses, but we do have some letters that he wrote to her. Which is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then it's and then her slave, the Davis, who mm-hmm. who joins the the militant Christian mob and sort of like has this very like horrifying disillusionment almost with mm-hmm. uh, his his actions. Maybe mm-hmm. I feel like, but I feel like all of them didn't get like full arcs. And I and I feel like it could have been really cool to sort of see all of these different people like early on in their lives and how they connect to each other. And then later, when they have all of these huge political strings attached to them and like the choices that they have made, mm-hmm. I love the scene uh, when Cyril wants all the dignitaries to like kneel before the Bible mm-hmm. and Orestes won't do it. And you like you see between all of the the men. So it's like the bishop and then Orestes and Davis out in the back. They all like have this like look. Mm-hmm. They're all the ones who have been. Uh, like affected by her and sort of the all of these choices that they've made and that part I thought was really cool. Yeah, but it wasn't full. It didn't like have this complete storyline for me. I don't know. It there's so many. Like, I have a lot of thoughts and like I'm trying to organize them in um, <laughs> a coherent way for our listeners because we're already we're 20 minutes in. I feel like we're already like we've gone in six places. I know, but. <laughs> Uh, and like well, so any, did this movie, so yeah, any attempt I had at a roadmap like just fell apart five minutes into starting this episode. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's my fault. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's we're, 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 we're complicit. We both betrayed Hypatia. Let's be honest. We did, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so, so one thing I think needs to be we can let's start with Hypatia herself and, and Rachel Weiss. But okay, the one thing I think that that needs to be said is this is a movie that is maybe maybe setting itself up as almost a sort of feminist take but this is a movie about a woman where there's only one woman yeah <laughs> Rachel yep. Rich, Rachel Weiss is the only female character in this movie yep <laughs> and like granted she existed in a world that was dominated in real life she would have been surrounded by men but there are there is just there's is her and her alone mm-hmm. um so you know fails the Bechdel test but but Aisha is she's set up as 
I generally, I mean, I, part of it is I love Rachel Weiss and I love pretty oh, much everything yeah. she's in. I think she's She great. was great. Yeah. <laughs> so she can kind of do no wrong. <laughs> Hypatia, yeah. So, but Hypatia, they really, they make, I think, a very conscious decision with Hypatia to make her into a basically proto-Galileo. Because the mm-hmm. whole, throughout the movie, there's kind of two conflicts going on. As I see it, there is the sort of political religious conflict between the city and, 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 the, and the political players and the bishop and the prefect and all that. And then there's Hypatia's sort of own personal conflict that she kind of is really more invested in herself because she's like, I just yeah. want to like do my astronomy. I just, I just want to do my work. <laughs> yeah. And so they really focus on her as like an astronomer and her, they set up very early on the kind of geocentric Ptolemaic model where Earth is the center of, of the universe. And then throughout the movie, she comes to sort of realize that it's a heliocentric model and she kind of figures out that the Earth isn't moving in a circle around the sun. It actually needs to be moving in an ellipsis. That's to explain the seasons. Yeah. And so that becomes, that's like her sort of conflict is her discovering this truth about the universe. But yeah. this is where the Which movie just... didn't, we have no basis for that. No. That actually no. happening. I, but I like it. I thought it was kind of fun. Yeah. So, yeah. like So, the, so like the two sort of maybe like gripe angles. I don't want to, yeah. I, <laughs> the two sort of gripe angles that I could come at it with is one on the pedantic history side, which is, well, like she was an astronomer, but it seems like her main work was more in math or really she was a Neoplatonist, which mm-hmm. the movie doesn't get into at all, which I don't fault it for because that would be. No, really no, that's true. like a huge like barrel of snakes that nobody needs to jump in. <laughs> yes, but she was a proponent of a school of philosophy that was deeply influential on both Christian and pagan thinkers. Mm-hmm. It's sort yeah. of based on Plato, but it has to do with like truth. I don't even really understand Neoplatonism all that well myself. No, it's like it's like everybody, uh, the entire universe is like heading into some sort of divine be like progress. Mm-hmm. Like there's always movement toward a divine i don't yeah i don't yeah. know and i think the, the like the big contribution I, I if i remember correctly from my undergraduate days where i took late antiquity late late antique late antiquity courses i can say words <laughs> is it has to do with like the idea of like being like there's like truth and perfection and like a god or divine being being like a more than perfect being things like that yeah but anyways but yeah she, she was a, a thinker in that school my sort of narrative gripe about this movie is that in making so like in making her a Galileo figure, this movie, I think, kind of has a problem because like in a sort of quote unquote Galileo story, there's some sort of dichotomy. Like the conflict is over like person who is pursuing sort of something true or like wants to share some kind of knowledge or truth. And then a sort of authority embodied by the church or something like the church. Right. Wanting to sort of stifle that. Yeah. Like that's like mm-hmm. golden compass or something. You yeah. Know. No, exactly. Mm-hmm. That kind of like that Galileo struggles, but like that. So you have this conflict where she's discovering something really sort of revolutionary and groundbreaking. You know, yeah. I think this movie is basically positing that she got onto this like 2000 years before Galileo or a thousand years before Galileo. Right, right, right. Yeah. But yeah. And then it sort of makes her death more powerful. Mm-hmm. At that Because we stifled that knowledge. I guess I'm, exactly. I'm coming around because my initial gripe was that it's not like anyone is actively trying to, no one's coming at her because of this heliocentric model that she's, right. that she's which we, you would see in like, if this was the movie about Galileo or somebody like exactly. that, it would be yeah. like, you can't publish this, it's heresy or whatever. <laughs> That's not the conflict. No. And this movie doesn't, I mean, it, and it's, I think it's right, but I think you're right. Now I've, I sort of come around that it's like, the tragedy is that this sort of is the the idea of what we lost because of her death. Mm-hmm. And like, we don't know, we actually don't even know what we lost, but we can think, imagine. Yeah. So there's, and I think Hypatia's are really good. So we talked in the Cleopatra episode where Jeremy t- was saying how mm-hmm. there's so many sort of women from history or ancient history that just get sort of forgotten because the, a very small number like Cleopatra and maybe a few others tend to suck up all the oxygen in the air. Yeah. And so Hypatia, I think is a really great model for a dramatic subject like this exactly because. Definitely. Yeah. And I think in the same way that we were talking about Spartacus, where we know very little about Spartacus, mm-hmm. but that also we know just enough to write a story and then we can sort of fill in what we need to tell the story. And Hypatia is exactly like that, where we actually have very, we know very little, we have an outline of her, but the inner. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do feel like though, that I wanted more. It's like, I, I think it's great that she was like a very central figure in this story, but I feel like it, she also didn't feel like a completely full character. 
And I think there was so much time and attention in the male characters around her that I think was really great. And I liked a lot of that conflict, but I, I would have also been happy with more Hypatia. <laughs> I think, yeah, because you, you, we were saying how like this movie is kind of a couple of different movies sort of. It that is, that sure. really And like the very beginning, I think this is most clear in like the first, I guess, act you would call it where there's this sort of, it almost seems like it's setting itself up as like a romantic drama yeah. where mm-hmm. it's like, there's a slave who kind of is pine Davis, the slave who's sort of pining after her. And the student Orestes played by uh, Davis, played by Max Mignola, uh, Orestes played by Oscar Isaac, who are kind of vying for her affection. Mm-hmm. I read, so that's, so there's a scene in the movie where, oh my God, first of all, we, we could talk about the, the proposal scene. <laughs> it was so cringe. It was like, oh man. I just need to like not be in this room. It was so terrible. Could you imagine, that was so awkward. So can you imagine like everybody, so everybody's at the theater and Orestes during the intermission, Orestes, Oscar Isaac gets up with his flute, which by the way, the sound that that instrument makes was wild. It was yes. like multiple tones. Well, Very I, cool. So he's playing the Owlus, <laughs> like the double flute, and we started playing it, and it was like a a reed. Sh- I, 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 I didn't actually know, but I wanted to be like, that's not the sound it would make, but I actually don't know the sound it would make, so what do I know? Um, <laughs> and he plays like a whole, he plays like a, a solo on his flute, and then yep. declares his love for his teacher. And, <laughs> not good. and the whole theater is like uh, watching this, and her dad's right there. <laughs> <laughs> and and she rebuffs him and then oh man that whole so the already yeah that Orestes being her student and being in love with her is purely fiction right um I'm not sure why this movie added the student thing I get I don't know why it added that romantic the romantic subplot that goes nowhere yeah I mean maybe it's just sort of to like I guess highlight the fact that like because they do mention it it's like if if Hypatia gets married she can like she's not supposed to then keep being a philosopher and a teacher she would then just be yeah, a wife be, and a mother. It would be her figurative death or her yeah. spiritual death. Her career death, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I guess I mean that's I I don't know. But yeah, it's it didn't really need to be there, I guess. Mm-hmm. Except maybe like toward the end because Orestes is then still sort of that's his big like wedge is that mm-hmm. he can't not like continue He to, can't renounce her or he can't yeah, betray yeah. her. Yeah, he can't betray her in the end. I guess. But anyway, yeah, so there's an there's a cringe-inducing scene where, where he proposes to her and is rebuffed. But I did read that, so that story about where she, she basically gives him her, like, I don't know how to describe it. Menstrual blood? Yeah, like, and a rag, basically. She yeah. gives him this, this like, like period blood rag. And she's, and then there's, she has this rebuff that's like, you're you're in love with, like, the idea of me, basically. Like, the real me yeah. you, would, you would find, like, much less appealing much less appealing yeah yeah which is a story that that story is from agent sources it's not involving Orestes. it's some other student who proposed to was her was in love with her yeah but that brings me to a, a sort of a thought is hypatia as this kind of like martyr almost she's almost like a like a philosopher saint mm-hmm. which is kind of an archetype in yeah in the ancient world where as sort of christianity and christian literature is sort of profligating and you have all these stories of saints and their miracles there actually is a sort of almost like sort of counter tradition or you see writings like of sort of famous particularly philosophers like Apollonius of Tiana is like one of these where it's like these almost like these like philosopher saints who go around like performing miracles or like yeah and like doing all sorts of amazing things my favorite I only I really only remember one story about Apollonius but I gotta share because it's awesome yes please where like so he is one of his students gets engaged and they're at the wedding, and then Apollonius of Tiana, the the philosopher, realizes that the bride is in fact an impusa, which is like a vampire kind of creature. It's like it's like a kind of monster that like seduces young men, and he exposes this woman for being basically a vampire at the wedding, and she like flies off. <laughs> so like awesome. that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, and a lot of it is is like retroactive, right? It it comes mm-hmm. um, afterward, and I think Hypatia was also sort of retroactively like christianized in in later sources right yeah she also she becomes like very similar to galileo she becomes this kind of like romanticized as this sort of sort of saint of reason Mm -hmm. and like sort of almost anti anti anti-christian or anti-religious 
kind of figure as right. like a, a you know a sort of a, a martyr for like reason and enlightenment thinking kind of thing very much like so in in the tradition of like a figure like julian mm, who's yeah. mm-hmm. sort of like the last so while the, so the empire is by and large christianized and the emperors have been christian for a while and sort of the, the upper bureaucracy and so like rome is the roman world is predominantly christian there is one emperor named julian who was sort of famously like a sort of adherent to sort of not even paganism, but it was like non-Christian, like philosophy. He was famously like a scholar and a a Hellenist. And he was this kind, and he, I think gets romanticized by later scholarly traditions who kind of in the sort of, in the line of like Edward Gibbon, who very much like pointed pointed the finger at Christianity as being integral in the decline and fall of Rome. Right, right, right. And then Julian as these, as this, you know, last bastion of sort of like (laughs) pre-Christian reasoning which is, I mean, it is is a sort of romanticized and is a bit of a projection. I think oh, Hypatia yeah. falls in, she falls into that tradition as well mm-hmm. as like, you know, the what if, like we kind of, like people have that like what if kind of thinking, like right. what if blank had never happened? What if, you know, what if Rome had never become Christian and had stayed true to its roots or whatever? Like, would we be so much, you know, like a kind of like wishful thinking that like, oh, if that had never happened, we would have like landed on the moon 200 years earlier or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I've heard that too, That which is kind of a weird, I don't know, mm-hmm. uh, weird like redux of like historical fantasy almost. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, 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 because it's kind of that like, because you can never prove or disprove exactly. it. And it's, yeah. you know, and it, it is, it's fanciful thinking to think that like, oh, if this had never happened, life would be so much better yeah, now. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes a sort of cudgel to use against you know whatever it is you don't like exactly yeah and no i think that this movie even kind of showed that like it doesn't sort of matter uh which like group you fell in um because there are multiple different communities sort of presented doing terrible things to other people <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so yeah. It's like it doesn't matter like who you are what you call yourselves it's like human beings mm-hmm. have had this history of being incredibly terrible to one another for power and that that will always have been if it, same, yeah. right if it wasn't christianity i think there's a solid argument that the sort of bureaucratic state system of rome would have been would have become sort of overburdened and there's all these sort of problems like it would have been something else oh, and yeah i don't think it's not like rome would have like lasted eternal had not no they all converted or whatever <laughs> it would have been different yes better yeah no but like i think this movie we we're saying like this movie is it's not necessarily like championing one side over the other, like in this, in the way that's like Covatus does where, or Ben Hur, Mm -hmm. where the Christians are made out to be like almost like angelic and saint like and above reproach. Yeah. Uh, This movie, like there's scenes where like, which these are sort of based on historical events. Like for example, the there's attacks against Jews in Alexandria and then, they lay a trap where they pretend that, a, that the church is on fire and all the Christians rush into the church to put out the fire. And then they're locked inside and then they're pelted with rocks yeah. until they die. And that is in itself retaliation for these Christian sort of fundamentalists, the Parabolani, mm-hmm. who, go to a, who go to a theater on the Sabbath and, and stone yeah. Jews who are at the theater. And so they have this retaliation. And then that leads to a worse of retaliation where that just breaks out into sort of mob violence and massacres in the streets and the sort of anti-Semitic violence mm-hmm. that was promoted by Cyril, who did call for this kind of violence and, and the banishment of Jews from Alexandria. Yeah. Yeah. And this kind of, yeah, this like sectarian violence that sweeps over Alexandria. For sure. Yeah. Like that, that is totally historically accurate like that mm-hmm. absolutely happened <laughs> and there's even there's another element the movie doesn't get into which i think because it probably can't but even within the church itself within christianity cyril sort of was running afoul of other religious figures mm-hmm. there's all i mean there was all sorts of like inter strife different sort of uh theological approaches yep. that resulted in violence and like all the you know the, the, historically there was a big sort of there's a lot of contention between religious figures in like particularly between rome and carthage mm-hmm. different sort of doctrines and creeds that resulted in violence against one another and it's, it's the whole thing is is wild and, and a mess and has no relationship to anything going on in the modern world um <laughs> Yeah, well, I feel like we don't like normally get to see that kind of mob violence in in an ancient movie, very like specifically about religious 
mm, street politics, I guess you yeah. would call it. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought that was actually really interesting. And it was, I, I feel like kind of brave of this movie to try to attack that and actually represent a lot of mm -hmm. conflicting and extremely complicated ancient, you know, time in the city. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I forget where we started on this. <laughs> I don't, we were talking about Hypatia, I think, and then we and then we kind of we kind of veered off. Uh, we followed the ellipses around. I want to yeah. say just one little observation. Okay. So when they were when they were talking, because this is the this was me patting myself on the back for being smarter than the movie, not really, <laughs> or being smarter than a characters in a movie, because they're having that conversation while they're in the. It's like because they frame it as while they're all besieged. And Hypatia is still thinking about like different Earth models. And they're like, well, what about Aristarchus? He was like the center. And then they're like, well, there's problems with that. But like, and then somebody basically says like, well, if the Earth is moving, why do we not just like fly off it? <laughs> and then, and I out loud, I said, well, it's like inertia, but like you could like say you were on like a boat or a carriage and you like threw up like a stone, it would fall back in the in the carriage or the stone with you because it's moving at the same rate as you because I took physics in eighth grade. Sure, exactly. Or science or, you know, I, I took a I, I have a high school level education of science. And then <laughs> lo and behold, like three scenes later, she's on a boat and she drops a sack yep. and it's like the sack lands where it was dropped. And then I'm like discovering a notion. I'm like, yes, I'm like, I would have killed it in Alexandria. So yeah, I would have been so smart. This is the thing that you would take back with you in time to <laughs> to make everybody's life is, better. Let's, let's like let's take a let's take a sharp detour here for our listeners because I want them to I want them to hear this and I want them to think about it. <laughs> because a question that I always I, I I sometimes posit friends over drinks is like, say you were thrown back in time and you know with all of the like a la like a Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court style like. You were put back in time. You have all of your like future knowledge, whatever, but you're in the sort of your you know the technology of of the time that you're in. Like say you're in ancient Rome. So like you could describe a, a phone to someone, but like you couldn't, you know, make a phone. Right. Like you, that's just impossible. But like what could you bring back? What like future knowledge could you use to like establish help you live? There have been some great answers to this conversation. And I think um paper was one that we talked about because for the longest time, it's like you had, you know, uh, vellum, which is like animal skin, basically, or papyrus, which is a certain type of paper, but it only comes from a certain plant. So it's really expensive. So I would totally make paper <laughs> way earlier, <laughs> at least in the Mediterranean. I think like um, farther east, like China, they were making paper way ahead I think of everybody they were, Yeah, they, they might have been already on it. Oh, yeah. My answer that, that I settled on was... I'm like fairly confident that I could create like a flushing toilet. I love that answer. <laughs> like I'm like, I like ha I've done enough work. I've recently, well not recently, but a, a few months ago I replaced my toilet and I'm like fairly confident that I understand of like the logic of a toilet, which is like a pretty low tech device. Yeah. All things said and done. Yeah. And I mean, the Romans had running water. So if you have running yeah. water, basically you can create a flushing I feel toilet. like I could make one out of like terracotta I feel like someone like Adam's gonna listen to this and be like no you, like, you, you don't <laughs> no you couldn't no you couldn't <laughs> but yeah I feel like I could manage something like a flushing toilet I thought of something else on that note it, it was maybe I'm trying to remember oh maybe I was thinking like maybe could I invent like a bicycle or something like that Ooh, like, maybe yeah but then fair. I think the problem is a bicycle, you kind of need like good. You need like smooth roads for that to work. I think like yeah. Like I don't think I could make a mountain bike because like, you you don't have like rubber or anything. It would have to be made out of like wood and leather. Yeah, and that would be kind of hard to. And the chain would be tricky. I mean, you could probably get a pretty small chain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the you'd have to make the like gears, I guess. Though yeah, which that would know. be that would be tough too. I think yeah. I, I keep coming back to toilet, or I think like. <laughs> Various, like, the other thing I think of as, like, various, like, culinary things. Like, I bet you could invent, like, pasta. <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, like, pretty straightforward. For sure. Mm -hmm. And again, like, yeah, other people in the world during ancient Rome have already been making pasta. But, yeah, that's not, not in Italy yet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So I think, like, yeah, this is this is specific, I think, too, if we were, say, put back in, in ancient Italy as opposed to, like, North America or something. Yeah, yeah. If I were put into first century Texas, I, I don't know what I would what I would be up to. Yeah, I don't know. But, but yeah, re readers and, and, and Twitter people would, like, think of, posit this question. If you were thrown back in time, what sort of ancient, what sort of future knowledge could you bring that would, like, give you an edge? <laughs> 
I love it. I don't have a good pivot, but I have another thing to say. Okay. But my, I want to talk about, because the other, maybe the main character, because you mentioned how Hypatia is like sort of the main character, but not the main character. Mm -hmm. Because the other kind of main character is Davis. Definitely. Played by Max Mignella, Mingala. Mignella, I think. Mignella, yeah. I'm going to edit that part out where I say his name wrong. Uh, <laughs> he, I think, is the, all of my, if I could change one, like we speak, and, and, and here's the pivot. Okay. Instead of bringing one thing back in time with you, if you could change one thing about this movie, <laughs> what would you change? And I think for me, I would change the character of Davis. Okay, to what? Okay. So here's my, my problem with Davis is that he's kind of like an audience surrogate where he just sort of witnesses and feels conflicted, but he doesn't really have much to do. He's a very right. sort of passive character, yeah. which makes him, I think, a bad lead character, whereas Hypatia is a much more active character sure. who is like actually changing things and has influence, limited, albeit, right. but has some sort of agency, whereas Davis... Also, there's certain things I think like that Davis does that just estrange him to me and I think other audience members. Like He's kind of an obsessive little weirdo well i just i feel like i never really knew his motivation for anything mm -hmm. because it's like it's established from the beginning that he is like in love with hypatia and mm -hmm. is obviously like following her teachings he's like there as her attendant in class but he obviously yeah. like learns a lot about like the astronomy that she's teaching and pays attention and is interested in it but mm -hmm. at the same time, he, like, is obviously, he's an enslaved person, so he hates being an enslaved person. Yeah. Sort of see him, like, reacting to, like, he, they are told that they can't be Christians and his sort of, mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, being treated terribly by everybody. But I think that's why the, that's why he goes over to Christianity, yeah. because they, they give him an alternative to his very oppressed Exactly. Lifestyle. Yeah. And we, we have that scene of, of Theon, Hypatia's father, who's kind of berating and abusing his slaves for, for, for being Christians. And, and just like the oppression that he experiences on like a day to day basis. And the fact that he's like at the school, but he can't really yeah, he's participate. Not. And like Hypatia gives him a little bit of like he gets to bring his, his model. And, and like he's clearly very smart. Yeah. But he can't pursue his, you know, he, yeah. he's, he's, confined by the the status of his yeah uh, by the nature of his of his position and like in the same breath that hypatia is like praising his you know uh model and what he's saying she's like no like brawling and fighting is for slaves and like blah 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 yeah. so it's like she mm -hmm. she can't even treat him like a human being <laughs> and like in the, when they're when they're fleeing the library and she is incredibly distraught because she's like all and and all the other scholars are like all of these these books are in peril yeah. uh we have to get out as many as we can and like we take out what make taking on the most important and he's trying to help and she's like you idiot like yeah. she's like berating him for you know like like don't be so daft and then he that's when he he, he He's, he goes over yeah. and joins the mob. And like, cause there's like the conflict with him is like the pent up animosity and rage. He feels sort of at his oppressors versus the, his, his, you know, when he joins the Christians, he, he sort of realizes that they're kind of, he kind of regrets it. He regrets parts of his choices because they are in turn, like oppressing others. Yeah. In, and destroying yeah. knowledge. Yeah. Which, when I say it out loud like that, seems like a very interesting conflict. Yeah. But... But it didn't... I don't know. It just it didn't, like, track. Or I feel like it wasn't built up enough. He mostly just, like... Because most of what he does, particularly for the back, like, the middle... The, the back to middle parts of the movie is he just kind of, like, sits around and, and kind of looks conflicted. Yeah. And, like, feels sad... I guess, mm -hmm. and, but then also yeah. like kills people. <laughs> yes, yeah, he's like completely complicit in the vi in yeah. the sectarian violence that's going on. Yeah, and then sort of, I guess the the very end, he like makes mm -hmm. makes a sort of like maybe personal decision for himself. Is like I'm going to be a, mm -hmm. a nice nice person and like kill Hypatia before they can torture yeah. her to death. Yeah. And it's just, it's kind of mirroring of, there's a very sort of disturbing scene where in the midst of the kind of riots, he goes back to Hypatia's house and there's a content warning for our listeners, but there's like an attempted rape scene Yeah, where, which he sort of, he kind of, he falls apart. He basically has a breakdown in the middle of, and then she frees him and tells him to, to get out. And then he comes, and that's sort of reversed a little bit at the end, where he 
effectively grants Hypatia sort of a merciful or a, a sort of an easier death as opposed to being tortured. Yeah. Which is part of like, that's sort of estranged me to him. Cause I sort of, you know, cause Davis makes a lot of, this is a tricky, I think th- needle to thread for a movie because like of having a character sort of make bad just choices, but keeping the audience on sort of the character side, so to speak. Yeah. Like I think of a character like Jamie Lannister, who is kind of a very deplorable person right. in a lot of ways. Yeah. But at the same time, I think, and I, I don't think I speak just for myself, but like the audience is very invested in Jamie's salvation, so to yes. speak, or his redemption. Mm-hmm. And which is part of why I think the, the finale is, of Game of Thrones is so disappointing. Yes. Um, <laughs> we, we need like air hose to go off that this is a 50 minute um, uh, Trojan horse for me complaining about Game of Thrones. <laughs> but I, but the, to bring it back to Davis, like I don't, I was not really ever on board with Davis to begin with. And so yeah. I, I was sort of against him for most of the movie. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. I, I didn't, I sort of didn't, yeah, feel like his, you know, fall into violence was all that surprising considering the terrible way that he'd been treated throughout mm-hmm. most of the movie. I was like, yeah, all right, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe we're not supposed uh, to like Davis. Maybe we're not. I, that's what I think I did actually like about this movie is that it did try to sort of create very complex and interwoven identities in this, like Mm -hmm. a very intersectional kind of way um, on like, where are all of the political, social and cultural pieces pulling at these characters. And I can imagine that for a slave in the fourth century, Christianity would have been like a huge pull, a huge drive. And then, you know, personal, you know, ties to, people that you love versus, you know, maybe an aversion to violence. I don't know. I think all of that is actually very interesting. So I like yeah. that this movie tried to do something with that. And I th- yeah, I think he kind of, he becomes sort of a, uh, he's like an audience sort of surrogate for like the hypocrisy of kind of a lot of these things of like, yeah. yeah on one hand, so that character Ammonius is, you know, like brings him in and says like, oh, like become a Christian, like help this poor starving person, like help yeah. give us, give out food you know, like the charity and humility, which as it is such a sort of driving force behind this religious movement. And I think it's responsible largely for its growth and mm-hmm. development and also the, the very active conversion. But then the like sort of hypocrisy later where they're just like, oh, we'll just uh, kill everyone who disagrees with us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's present in like the same character because Ammonius is, is the guy like giving out the bread and saying, you know, like, why do you need money? Like, there are people starving here. Like, let's let's be helpful. And then he's the mm-hmm. one who sort of, like, starts the big riot at the end and tries to kill Orestes for just, like, not yep. kneeling in front of the Bible. Yeah, yeah. He's the most sort of violent and, like, dogmatic. He's the most um, radicalized yeah. of... Of, uh, and a real person also who Cyril did try to beatify. <laughs> but apparently, actually, historically, that ran him afoul of some people. Ow. Poor Ammonius. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm not that sympathetic towards Ammonius. No. But... <laughs> <laughs> not at all. I think another general, like, this movie, this movie, I think, is very attentive to, like, it deviates, we were talking about, like, it deviates from... And oversimplifies and, and shift, shuffles around some of the history, which I think any sort of movie sure. is, or that's that's completely within there. Yeah, they're right. But I, what I did like is the way that this movie, the sort of like cultural, like the the like you, you mentioned intersectionality, but the very sort of multicultural aspect of Alexandria in the fourth and fifth century. Yeah, and it's like a very complex that there are all these different people. This is a very cosmopolitan city For with sure. like layers upon layers of cultural traditions stacked upon each other like they're walking around and there's pharaonic art and motifs and architecture all (laughs) around them you know and then there's greek style temples i mean serapis himself is a sort of partly greek partly egyptian deity yeah this sort of and the religious customs are sort of a a mishmash of that kind of thing and then like there's also the romans who are this other presence there yeah and arrest orestes who and Sinesi, yeah, and, and all these characters who are like sort of Greek. Presumably, they would probably be speaking Greek mm-hmm. uh, yeah. in this movie, or maybe demo- like each, some form of Egyptian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that I did, uh, I did sort of, I did really appreciate about this movie. It seemed this movie seemed really, I think, attentive to. Yeah, I think this movie actually had a what's it called, like a historical 
consultant. Consultant, yeah, Justin Pollard. Oh, gee, I don't know. I don't recognize that, but he's um, a, a British historian who does like a lot of stuff for a lot of different movies. I think he did stuff for Elizabeth and Vikings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, it definitely shows that they put a lot of attention into mm-hmm. the just like the geographical and like the space of the city, which I think was really cool. I love that they had like the Christian church with those big pharaonic mm. statues in the back. I'm like, it's so, that's exactly what it looks like. <laughs> that's the most, um, like, that's like, so I could, I feel like we could, we could do a whole like lecture for undergraduates about that kind of, it's not even syncretism, but like the way like religious sort of spaces get co-opted. Yes. Yeah. Like I'm thinking of, this is a, a different time in a different context, but there's a really great example in Rome where I think there, there are these three temples and it's, I think it's right by the Forum Borarium, kind of near the river. If you go to Rome today and it's, there's a church, the church is still standing. I'm not sure how old that church is and I don't remember its name, <laughs> but there's a church you go into and the center sort of colonnade in the church. Like there's the aisle and then the where all the, the pews and stuff are. That center colonnade is from one, I think originally Republican, but probably those columns are much later. There's like one Roman temple that forms the center colonnade. And then the outer walls of the church are two different colonnades from two other temples that would have been like, if you went back into say first century Rome, there would have been three temples basically right in a row. So cool. And then they built this they built this church, so basically the outer walls of these two of these two the two out the the walls of like these two outside temples become the walls of the church, and then the inner colonnade of the center temple becomes the sort of aisle of the church. I love it; it's so cool. Yeah, no, there's um, how I, the cathedral in Syracuse has uh, a temple of Athena, just like in the walls. You see the pillars in the walls of the church, and I think the temple of like the divine augustus um mm-hmm. somewhere in turkey like is now a mosque um there used mm-hmm. to be a mosque right in the in the parthenon i think there used yep. to be yeah a- the, the parthenon was a, a, a temple to athena and a, and, a, and a mosque and a church yeah oh and there's some also in rome there's some church that if you go to the basement there's like a mithraeum <laughs> right mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> so, yeah this is it's- uh, or even like the the hagia sophia in in, in istanbul you yeah. know was church now it's a mosque but yeah like that that like they would absolutely take like an old pharaonic temple yep. or whatever greek temple or whatever it was and then put a cross in it and maybe make some some architectural changes yeah put some kairos here up here and there mm-hmm. there's a great there's a great shot that i made a note of i like i think it's when there's orestes i think it's orestes and cyril and they're talking to one another and they're sort of standing i'm making a, a picture with my hands but they're sort of standing (laughs) across from each other and they're framed by these two pharaonic sculptures who are looking at each other sort of opposite it's really and then they're they're sort of it's sort of the whole scene is like framed by these two statues looking at one another like (laughs) yeah alejandro amenabar i think i mean i think that i think as a director like he knows what's up yeah yeah. There's, I think, also really, I think, wonderful shots of, like, panning over the city mm-hmm. and seeing, like, all the – when all, like, violence is breaking in, you see the people running around and, like, yeah. these, like, sweeping shots over the Serapeon. Like, the people are fleeing and other people are sort of scurrying into the buildings. Yeah. Those um, were cool. I didn't I didn't know how to feel about, like, the, the I guess, space shots where it's, like, the Earth from space. <laughs> I'm so happy you brought this up because <laughs> I made a note. I don't know if you said there's a great – joke where it's like a it's like a buzz Aldrin was like so the joke is like well so buzz aldrin says like you know when you look back when you look down on earth from the moon and you see just this like blue marble and you think about all the all the differences in like race and religion and creed and ethnicity sort of fall away and you realize that they're all just a bunch of losers who have never been to the moon (laughs) 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 yep but yeah, but I think like that's kind of I think the idea is like yeah, okay. to f- to frame it in a cosmic because the idea is like Hypatia is concerned like Hypatia's concerns transcend yeah whatever petty sectarian issue that's happening on the streets exactly like yeah. she's trying to answer questions about like the world and its place in the universe, which I feel like there's like, I feel like Neil deGrasse Tyson somewhere is like, it has like, she goes like, he's like, Ooh, yes. Um, uh, Cause he's like, exactly. this is all so much more important than whatever the, whatever the 
these people are yeah, fighting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. I, I like it from, from that perspective because I think watching it, I was like, why? What? Really? <laughs> I think it's kind of a condescending stance to, to take. But yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe um, a little um, ham-fisted. Maybe trivial. Yeah. I yeah. don't know. I don't know. But, but yeah, I mean, I think I like my, my take is like everyone is just a loser who hasn't been to space. <laughs> um, we're, we're hitting sort of the end of our, and this this real whirlwind tour of this movie, um, it it tried to pack a lot into those two hours. It, for, it was a dense two hours. It really was, say. yeah. But the only other the only other part I kind of really wanted to talk about. I mentioned how I love uh, Rachel Vice, and she can do no wrong. Accurate, accurate. But I'm also maligning my other main man, Oscar Isaac, who can do no wrong in my eyes. And I love. <laughs> I'm here for pretty much every. I think Oscar Isaac is one of those actors that no. However good or bad the movie is around him, he's always great. I agree. Yes. And I I just especially love him in Ex Machina. And that's like always my my fallback Oscar Isaac role, which I love. He has such, to me, has such like a, he's so, he's like a very, he's a surprisingly versatile. Yes. So this is, this movie is, I think he's, by this point, he is a, he's an unknown. I think he's maybe been the skeevy Prince John in the in Redley Scott's Robin Hood, <gasps> and that was him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you yeah, know that was him oh um, before. I think he blew up, and then Ex Machina. He's about five years out from Ex Machina. Uh, that's in 2014. He inside Lewin Davis. He, he when he does with the Coen Brothers. Yeah. That's 2013. Because it seems like like this. The Orestes character is interesting to me because at first he seems like really sort of slimy, mm-hmm. almost like I think that he's going to be some kind of like. At first, I thought he was going to be like this obstacle boyfriend. He's yeah. this like, pretentious, skeevy, rich kid. Mm-hmm. And then he really pivots in the later half of the movie and becomes like a great friend and ally to Hypatia, mm-hmm. which is, which is I don't know, maybe it's a little strange. But I mean, I guess the, there's there's an arc going on that we only see a little bit of where he goes from like a pretentious, spoiled rich boy yeah. to a sort of somewhat thoughtful and responsible leader. Well, yeah, because he he like tries to sort of bring her teachings, the you know, mm-hmm. more unites us than divides us, like into his being being the prefect. So I, yeah, I was yeah. surprised. I was like, oh, he's he's good now. <laughs> but what I like about it is like because he does that kind of skeeviness so well, or like an ex machina where he's this really kind of like oh, interesting. Yeah, he really does. It's like no. <laughs> or in um and sucker punch. I think yeah. that was another one of his yeah. like kind of where people were like, keep an eye on this guy. Yep. He like that movie I think is like not good. Oh, but no. I think he really like when he's on the screen, you're like kind of drawn to him. For sure. Yes. And then later he's gonna be Poe Dameron and like where he's the most charming person ever. Yeah. Um, and- which I was like again very surprised by that I could you know, he could be so like I don't know, ebullient? Is that the word I wanna <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, ebullient. That's a good word. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm just like looking at his IMDb now. I forgot that he was in Annihilation, actually. But that oh, it's because he was a po- he was Apocalypse. Yeah. Oh no, Annihilation. The no, I'm oh, sorry, X Mask. Never mind. Annihilation with um Natalie Portman. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's the the he's the, the boy- husband boyfriend. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I guess he's not in there like a whole lot, but I do. Yeah, he was there. Yeah. No, I I agree. Absolute absolute gold. Love him because I feel like like. His Rachel Weiss, I mean, to me, Rachel Weiss has had steady work basically for 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 the last like twenty years. Yeah, and she's gonna be in the Black Widow movie. Ooh, fun! Yeah, she's like one of the Russian handlers. But I feel like I hadn't seen her in a major because it seems like she was increasingly taking like smaller projects or sort of mm-hmm. like I'd see her every now and then, but in like a lower budget or like maybe not as big of a movie. Right. I mean, I'm thinking really of like also like the Mummy to me. Is, <laughs> um, I know you have I know you have feelings about the mummy. I do. And I I love the mummy. I I can't I can't not love the mummy. I have too much nostalgia in in my mm. in my soul. <laughs> yeah. But, but like this is like like Rachel's Rachel Vice is kind of her career is sort of hit hit this sort of line. Well, I'm thinking about like the favorite. That was Oh, that's right. Huge. Maybe I'm maybe I'm just I don't watch enough Rachel Vice movies. Maybe. I got to remedy that. <laughs> the favorite was great. But 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 yeah. this is like Oscar Isaac. I think like pre his yes sort of, for sure is, yeah like he, he's he's five years out from like blowing up yeah I mean Max Man- Mangella has also been in a lot more things now he was in Handmaid's Tale oh really yeah 
he also there was an interesting like they do an interesting transformation with him because or just because like in the beginning he seems like like a child like i think he just has a very like youthful face he does he looks for very, sure very young yeah and then they give him the beard later too yeah i guess and like like we could split hairs and say like hypatia maybe at the end of her life was probably in her like 50s or 60s but like whatever yeah i don't know how old is rachel vice oh she's 51 okay so she was not that old when the movie mm. so i don't know yeah, she was like in her forties. Yeah, well, that's fine. Or like late thirties, late thirties, early forties. Yeah, she was born in nineteen seventy, so she was in thirty nine. Yeah, okay. Oh, <laughs> any like any nitpicks or gripes? Uh, Fun facts? I don't think I do have any. I I only have one, and it was real, real petty. <laughs> I can't wait. So we mentioned, like, I think this movie actually is quite good about it's like its attention to detail is for sure pretty good. Yeah. And but there's a there's a scene where it's when they're 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 trying to rescue all the scrolls from the library or the Serapeon and they're running around and then they have a they they kind of the shot is framed where it's like the section of the library where they're at and so they have like to, to drama but it's like written in Greek so they have they have drama and then they have hysteria and it's spelled wrong basically oh, no. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about I do now <laughs> yep yeah because yeah, it's spelled. With with an Ada, basically they put it. Yeah, they put an Ada in front of it, which is a letter in ancient Greek that probably made like an E sound or an A sound. They basically put an unnecessarily letter in front of the word his- hysteria to like make us so we know. Like I, the reason they did this yeah. is so we can look at it and like, oh, it says history because the Greek letters are just similar enough that like yeah. we can figure it out. Yeah, but they put that H in front of it to like like to cue us <laughs> in, even though it's actually would not have been spelled that way. Um, <laughs> that was my only, I think it's, it's still, it's light years better than like whatever is going on in Percy Jackson. Uh, yes. Accurate. Yeah. I like this movie 10 times more than I like Percy Jackson. <laughs> 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 yeah. No, I think, I think people do nitpick about the costumes, say that everything's a little bit anachronistic sort of shoved together, mm-hmm. but like, I don't know, nothing was like really distracting to me like i wasn't no you know i think it all meshed very well and then like we we sort of complain or or talk or gripe or whatever it is we do about like you know any ancient movie where you have like they just throw together any and all greek art into like the same scene yeah (laughs) because it's like basically recognizable yeah (laughs) you know like the kind of the kind of like what's it called like our like cultural sort of like the amalgamation Mm -hmm. of like ancient greece and then like into these like a couple of different iconographic iconographic or aesthetic things and Mm -hmm. then just sort of putting it all in there together but hmm. yeah more people should watch this movie is is my take i think yeah i think that that's really i think they just it's like you know it's not an amazing movie i didn't i think the real the real litmus test is i also the other day i watched i rewatched moana Uh, but (laughs) but like i didn't cry in this movie in the same way that i cry when i watch moana um (laughs) nice yes Okay, so it's not as good as Moana. I, like, I watched for the very first time, Don't Laugh at Me, Silence of the Lambs. Oh. I know. <laughs> yes, exactly that. And I have never felt like more tension in a movie. Yeah. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. everything else more recently has felt like, oh, I'm not like clutching all of mm-hmm. my, you know, arms and like my fingers yeah. aren't digging into my palms. So oh, my okay. whole body is not one huge clench. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> My mood is clench. <laughs> yeah. But no, yeah, I think more people should see this. It's interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's on Amazon. It's like not terribly hard to find. Mm-hmm. We spoiled pretty much all of the movie. Yep. But uh, again, much like the Titanic, you, you, you know where it's going. You do. Yeah. Or you, you can. I mean, just a quick Google. Yeah. So watch Agora. Oh, I take back what I said about the one thing I would change about this movie. Oh, no. And in lieu of changing Davis, I would still change the title of this movie. <laughs> Yes, I would also still change the title of this movie. Maybe just to be like, I think Alexandria would be a good a good title. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's true. So, so if, if for for those who listen, we don't. I don't check the mail, but uh, right back. Maybe we should put this question up on Twitter, which is the first is what ancient what ancient future knowledge would you bring back with you if you could? Hell yeah. Two, if you were to rename this movie. What would you rename it to? Yes. Because my, my my leads were still either Hypatia or Alexandria. Alexandria, I think, is probably just sounds cooler. Yeah. On that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think it's more it's more truthful because it's sort of like, yeah, I just I don't think Hypatia is like the main main 
character. So yeah, I think like mm-hmm. Alexandria, it's sort of this city going through this turbulent time. Um, yeah. Yeah. Is it, is it like, well, like the city where it's like the city is really the fourth character of the movie. <laughs> it is though. It really is. You know, like, like how many movies were like New York is also kind of a character. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So we should, we should take that as our cue. My cat is screaming at me. Okay. I don't know if the mic's picking it up. Well. But we should take that as a cue. So next week we're, we're on for Pompeii, right? Yes, we are. That's going to be. <laughs> I'm going to have to get more wine. Yeah. So we're going to do Pompeii uh, with a with a guest, with Christy. Yeah. Yeah, Chris, Christy Shermer. And in lieu of that, yeah, as always, um, you can find us on Twitter at, at DigMovies. You can listen to us on Apple and Spotify and Stitcher and, and Amazon now on uh, Google Podcasts. And so uh, like, review, subscribe, follow, all that good stuff. And I think we will sign off. Woo-hoo. So bye, everyone. Bye, guys. Uh yeah, I Leo, you're I Leo, make a decision, bud. Like, are you going to snuggle? Or are you gonna Are you gonna go outside? Cause the door's open. Make up your mind.